0: Are you ready? Are you ready? I sound like an old-time preacher. I ready to receive the word of God. You know, I uh, I was thinking about first service. I was kind of thinking, you know, the old Johnny Carson days. Uh, this kind of looks like the curtain in the old Johnny Carson days. And I was thinking about inviting Martha out because uh, we're going to talk about Mary and Martha as our next guest, right? Mary and Martha, why don't you come on out? Uh, and then and then Martha comes out, but it's me, you know, because I'm Martha in this story this week, as I had alluded to. Uh, I had a lousy week. I, I, had, I had to call one of our elders, and I said, man, I am so discouraged. I, I, I feel it on so many different levels. I alluded to I feel abandoned. I feel disappointed. I feel judgmental. I feel... I feel discouraged and depressed. Even I, I even use that word. I, I usually don't stay on too long. I even told my wife. I said tomorrow. I know I'll feel differently. But sometimes emotions take you in ways that you just like. How does how are my emotions? This is just not me. And so your brain is like, this is just not. This is just not even normal. And then your emotions are like, I don't care. I'm just so upset. And I'm so, And and friends and close people and staff. I mean. I, I, I start on the East Coast, you know, I've got staff on the East Coast, and he and his wife potentially had COVID again, and then, and then I, I think of a Central uh, South region director for us, and his wife, they're having to go down to MD Anderson, so I spent a lot of time with them trying to, you know, see if they couldn't make that, pave the way for them to get to MD Anderson a little bit better, they had already uh, been able to achieve that, and she has cancer. And then uh, I've got two on our admin staff here that had cancer, and then I had two close friends, and and uh, they lost their fathers, you know, as I alluded to earlier, and 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 I could just go down a long list of many more things. And why would we been in, been an escrow on this property for three years? And 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 I was a, you know, Saturday is kind of like, kind of cleanse my mind a little on Saturday. I try to uh, believe it or not, your pastor plays a little golf still. Play a little golf on Saturday morning and. Yesterday I was involved in having to conduct a memorial for a man that I loved and a family that I cared about and their grief and their loss and I'm just and then I got to get up here and then after all that and and then you get up here and then and then now you're the pastor so you have to get up and preach a powerfully inspiring encouraging affirming message And sometimes it's like, I just don't want to do it. I'm going to ghost CRD tomorrow. I'm just not going to show up. Pastor Paul will come up with something. Maybe they can just line up and give some testimonies and do some worship. And uh, that's the life of somebody who kind of is in full-time ministry. Now, you maybe have a story. In fact, your your week may have been much, much worse. And I know for a fact some of our congregation has been suffering in some very profound ways. And so I don't mean to have you compare your week with mine. It was just... One of those weeks, I'm Martha, as we'll describe, distracted, bothered, upset, discouraged, feeling abandoned, as we'll see even in a second story of Martha and Mary. And then, but I tell you what, there was a bright spot. And can I tell you what the bright spot was when I walked in? Somebody, I don't know who it was, somebody took a Fiji and they put it down here, a Fiji for me, I think it's for me, I hope it's for me, if it's not, it's for me now. Can I just tell you? And it was just like it was just like a little bit of grace uh, that was just extended to me. In fact, I'm going to leave it there so you can think of this as being grace. Are you ready to roll, Lord Jesus? We need help. We 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 want to understand your word. Uh, we want to understand. Uh, Jesus, you said if you understand my sayings and then act on them, just, this abundant life begins to flow in, and your emotions your emotions are turned, and they be, they're no longer your taskmaster, but they can actually become your servant. Lord, help us. Teach us through this story. You, this has been included for 2,000 years. Everybody knows the story of Mary and Martha, two fairly inconspicuous people that emerged in your ministry. Teach us the great truths that you have to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, real quickly, who was they and where were they traveling? It was his disciples, it was his inner core. And as we had seen in Luke 9:51, they had already set their heart. Jesus had set his heart on going to Jerusalem. Why? Because it was going to be his great passion. He was going to have to lay down his life as the ultimate sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. And he knew it. And of course, they did not, they didn't have any concept. And yet he was already determined to go. And as it would have, they would be coming up to a place called Bethany. Now, if you've ever been to Israel with me or been to Israel before, you'll know that Bethany is about 1.72 miles from the old city of Jerusalem. If you have to go down through the Kidron Valley and up the Garden of Gethsemane, many of you will have heard of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus cries out, Oh, Lord, why, God, Father, why have you forsaken me? And yet, he ends with that well-known refrain, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. It was just a little further than that, You kind of go up over the Mount of Olives and on uh, just a bit more, and you come to this little place called Bethany, which today is just a small Arab village and part of what you often hear on the news, part of the West Bank. The West Bank kind of makes its way down through the central part of Israel all the way up north of Jericho. That's part of the West Bank. That's where they were traveling along, and that's where they arrived. He entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home, her home. Women, uh, what do you think about your home? Do you like people doing drop-bys when you have, uh, you know, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe it's not in the perfect condition that you want? Most women like to have at least the carpet vacuumed and the tables, you know, in place, maybe even a nice... Some flowers and women take their nesting and men too, but mostly women take their nesting pretty seriously. I know my wife does. And it was her home, and she had a sister called Mary who was seated. Now, this is interesting seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. So you have Martha, her home. Now, was it Mary and Martha's home together? I don't know. But they have, she's at, at her home. And she's there, and she's working. Now, I don't know what they knew about this rabbi. I don't know if they had any idea that he was the long-awaited Messiah. That it's clearly, they I, th- I think this is their first encounter that we, at least we have recorded. Uh, were they Did they know Jesus, know about him? How much did they know? I for sure don't think they had any con- recognition that he was going to have to go to the cross, and that was imminent for sure. But at least we know that they had heard of his exploits as a rabbi. Messiah, I don't know. Sacrificial lamb, probably not. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came to him and said, it's going to be our refrain for the morning. Lord, don't you even care? Don't you realize what's going on here? I mean, I'm working my tail off. And here's my sister, and she's sitting down at your feet. She's not helping me at all. And then she goes ahead, and I can imagine her barking out this command in some ways. uh, Can't you just tell her to help me? But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, maybe repeating the name Martha just because he had such love and compassion for her. You are worried and you're bothered about, well, so many things, but only one thing, really only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part. That's the title of my message this morning, Mary, Martha, and the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, no doubt if you've been around church or the Bible, maybe you're here for the first time and or maybe you've never even been to church or you're watching on television or online. I know many of our folks are home uh, watching because of Omicron or otherwise. Uh, you've heard this story probably before. And uh, what? Martha's typically the villain in some ways, and Mary's a little bit of the heroine. Martha's the one that m- fails and she's too worried and she's all, you know, tied up in knots, and Mary's the one that's just sitting at his feet, and which is a little bit unfortunate because, as we'll see, Martha is a solid believer. She believes in Jesus, he loves Jesus. She's wanting to serve Jesus, but she's so distracted. And I'm just telling you, my week was full of distraction. I mean, look at the facts that we've just learned. It's Martha's house. She's distracted. She's become judgmental. She's even accusatory of the king of the cosmos, the creator of her own soul. Lord, don't you even care? Now, why don't you tell her to come over and help me? Don't you even care? Are you in a place this morning? Or whenever you might be watching this, are you in a place where you might be thinking, Lord, don't you even care? Have you had a recent diagnosis or somebody close to you? Do you have a spouse maybe that's declining into some level of dementia or maybe even even an early Alzheimer's diagnosis? Maybe a, a wayward child or a financial collapse of some sort whatever it is, you're distracted, and it's meaningful to you, and your emotions are going 8,000 miles even ahead of your brain and trying to drag your brain along for the ride, and your only cry to this God who ostensibly is supposed to care is, Lord, it doesn't even seem like you care at all. Don't you care at all? That's how I felt this week some of my prayer life is not maybe as grandiose or as uh, pastoral as you might think some of my prayer life is lord don't you even care don't you see what's going on we're a church plant we can't make it through this omicron and this delta and this alpha and this whatever else is coming around the deal and why can't we get this land and why and then personal issues and then and then our congregation and and all the different overwhelming or losing people from the congregation i mean you you just go on and on and on and on and on and on. Don't you even care? I think if you look, however, uh, maybe you are in that place, but let's just look at a few of the characteristics of Martha. She was a doer, which is wonderful. I mean, maybe you're a doer. I'm a doer. I'm a doer for the kingdom. I, ever since I came into the kingdom, it just was my, from day one, I was like, I got to go share Jesus and talk about Jesus. And uh, I want to get my car away and I want to talk. And I went, I mean, I was, I didn't have any a clue of what I was talking about. Uh, I remember a guy on my golf team that I think I got into a fist fight because he wasn't listening to what I was trying to tell him and, as it related to Jesus, or it was closely paired with that. I mean, I was just insane to tell people about Jesus because I had been so impacted by him. I was definitely a doer. Uh, I definitely wanted to please Jesus, not unlike Martha. Boy, did she want to please Jesus. She wanted to also impress Jesus, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to impress Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, I make it my ambition to be pleasing, To God, to impress God, I want to. I want God to go there. He is. There's my son. Well done, Jeff. Well done. She clearly, she clearly believed. So she was a doer, but she she, somehow she missed the good part. She wanted to please him, but she was missing the best part. She really was. She believed, but somehow she was missing the perfect part. This week I missed. I missed the perfect part, the best part, the good part, even though I was trying, and I knew about the good part, and I wanted to, but I just felt so distracted, so bothered, so disappointed, so abandoned. Maybe you are there this this week, maybe today. Maybe you will be next week or next month, or maybe you're just coming out of this cycle. I was, interestingly, I was reading uh, a story by a guy named Anderson, an article Listen to what he says. Have you a little bit about climbing the the wrong ladder in life? Have you ever had that? I preached this message obviously in the first sermon. I had a, a gentleman come up to me afterwards outside, who's been a long time member of this church, and he said, uh, "I was he was with Nordstroms and had worked him his way up to the very very high position in Nordstroms. I actually had the privilege of knowing Mister Nordstrom, being a golf professional at the Vintage Club. They were brothers." And uh, he'd worked his way all the way up to the very top, and he told me afterwards, he, I was 42, and I realized I had been climbing the wrong ladder all my entire life. What does that mean? Anderson describes it like this, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top. What is that ladder of fix? It could be your house, it could be your family, it could be your job, it could even be your ministry, right? that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall, and that wisdom and wit obviously comes from Thomas Merton. We all climb that ladder, really. Uh, There's probably something wrong with you if you don't. Are you not motivated? You're just going to sit on your rear end and do nothing for your entire life? But there are lots of ladders. Young people sometimes denounce the ladders. They see their parents and a generation above them mounting. Uh, I've seen that in my own kids, maybe, but there's Nothing salvific about exchanging a bourgeois ladder with a bohemian ladder, really, if you think about it, aiming to be the next Bono instead of the next Buffett. That's Warren Buffett. Somebody in the first service asked me, was that, are you talking about Jimmy Buffett? No, I was talking about Warren Buffett. <laughs> there are ladders that scale the heights of movies and music and dance and painting and ladders to the top of even nonprofits and churches and charities. Everybody's on some kind of ladder David Anderson says and the mystery and wonder of God's salvation is it only kicks in once you get a few rungs up your personal favorite and realize that it's leaning well it's leaning against the wrong wall and you have to fail your own personal improvement project has to I'm sorry but he says it crap out that's the only that's the only moment in which a human being is ready and willing to receive grace there are no exceptions to this rule thank you for the grace apparent exceptions are usually people with High control needs too fearful to climb and to fall. Unless you bury your talent and withdraw from life, there's no way to avoid ladder climbing. I imagine God watching us the way parents watch their children, knowing we must set out our way to find and knowing we must take wrong turns and ascend wrong ladders, leaning against wrong walls and waiting for us to fall so that, in fact, God can catch us in His all-embracing arms. The only caveat in Merton's observation, and this is important, are these four words, spend their whole lives climbing the wrong ladders. At some point, you're supposed to wake up to the wrongness of the ladder and of the wall. At some point, we take a tumble and God reaches out to catch us to enfold us in mercy. And for the first 30, maybe 40 years of our life, we push away and say, no, thank you. I don't need any hope. I can do this. I really can, watch me. And we go back at those rungs, but you don't want to spend your whole life doing that. Pray for the grace when the time comes to be caught by those everlasting arms and not to push away. I was also reading an article this last week about some women on the LPGA uh, Tour, which is the golf professional ladies golf tournament, and they were having some very significant reassessments of the ladders in which they had climbed their whole life and now for those of you who have played any kind of competitive golf maybe even at a club level golf can become all consuming in fact it's a you have to be take a fairly selfish road to becoming really good at golf in fact when i was playing Always likened it to a balloon. Maybe I've showed told you this before, but you know your putting gets a little wonky, and so you're you over here and you kind of feel the balloon popping out over here. And I got to work on my putting, so you start to you work week after week, and then you get your putting right. And as you do that, your wedge game suffers, and it pops out over here. And now you're trying to hold this, and then you push that part of the balloon back in here, and then you're driving, and then your psychology, and then your health, and your sports, and your... It's just like this never-ending thing that never gets solved. It's like a, a puzzle that you just don't have all the pieces to. It can be intoxicating, it can be exhilarating, but it also can be devastating, especially if it's your identity, if it's the latter, especially with those of us who have looked to golf or otherwise as our identity. But look, you can do that with anything. Martha did it with her home. I do it, I can do it easily with my ministry. Why would I get discouraged? Well, you know, we were only a church plan and you know we could pat ourselves on the back and numbers shouldn't matter but we had exceeded 500 and we were already grown out of something much larger than this and then you know and then and then the land and then the, oh and then the virus and this and that and then people are leaving and people are dying and that you know you just you're just going to work hard on your sermon nobody's oh, going to show up and and you just yeah Jeff, Jeff, why are you so distracted by so many things? Choose the good part. Choose the good part. That's what I felt all week as I was preparing for this, sometimes not wanting to feel it. Jeff, you haven't chosen the good part. It's forced me, and even times when I fall at his feet, we'll talk when we close here about what that is. I can't go to Fontana to find Jesus, (laughs) you know, and sit at his feet because he's at a, you know, honky-tonk bar, and he's going to be there talking to the nerdy wells, and I can run in and fall down at his feet. I can't do that, and we'll talk a little bit about how you would do that if you find yourself in a Martha in a Martha position. There is a feedback loop, essentially, that goes through all of our minds. Do you realize that? There's something. Sometimes that loop starts when you're a kid. I've talked about this before, but it is so true. I'll never forget my dad. Uh, he, um, he, I'm sure he'll watch this at some point. I apologize in advance, Mr. Cranford, but uh, he made a comment to me, in that feedback loop I have heard that over and over and over through my mind. So when I was uh, when I was in college, and I used to lift quite a bit of weight. I still try to work out pretty pretty regularly and do all my stuff. And you know, it's as I get older, it gets harder and harder and harder, as we all know. But you know, I think he'd kind of he was a traveling salesman and various points and a manager of other sales guys. And he'd, you know, sitting in a lot of cars and eating at a lot of maybe uh, fried chicken dives or something else. And he's starting to put on, you know, just a little bit, you know, you start to expand. You have a family and start to kind of go this way a little bit. And uh, and I'd kind of come in and say, Dad, you know, you need to, you know, I'd kind of try to my six pack or whatever I thought I had, you know. And he goes, wait till you be my age. You'll you'll see. And you'll, you'll be up to whatever he was, 34, 36, whatever he was. And I said, I'll never be that. And I, it's so bizarre. It's Just some little thing like that in my life, and it's guided me. And, and I'm—I always every t- almost every time we're together, I'm like, Dad, thank you, because I'm still 32, which is about what I was, and I still have a pair of pants that I keep in my closet that are way outdated. And I show my dad somehow. I have this desire to please, to show up my dad something. I've had a feedback loop. Someday you'll be—you'll be this, or someday you'll be whatever. No, I won't. And that and little things like that. Are you following me? And and that could be anything. Maybe your dad said you'll grow up to you'll, you'll you'll be nothing when you grow up. Or maybe somebody at school beats you up, and I'll never be the poor skinny kid on the beach that gets sand kicked in my face. And you know you'll lift weights the rest of your life. Or somebody says you're nothing, and you felt like the nerd. And well, I'll become the next Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or whatever. And I will show the world. And all of a sudden you say. <laughs> start climbing, climbing up that ladder. And these LPGA Tour players were, well, they realized at some point, this article was talking about they, they'd they been climbing this ladder their whole lives, and something had led to a couple of them, uh, the virus and a few other things, and some health challenges, and, and so they pulled away, and they realized how they could breathe for the first time, this feedback loop of you've got to succeed, 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 succeed and they hadn't chosen the best part. Now, that wasn't what that article was about, but again, it was about climbing a ladder that may not lead to your ultimate fulfillment. What have your ladders been? Has it been Nordstrom's? Has it been golf? Has it been being the perfect mother, being the perfect spouse, having the perfect business? Look, you're going to climb a ladder. You have to but are you avoiding the best part? You know, Jesus had some incredible insight into intimacy of relationship and guidance into that. Some of us, maybe you're a husband, and you've justified your workaholism by, well, I have to provide somehow for my family, and then that's your excuse for never being home, always being on the road, never being at your kids' games, never, you know, whatever. And I've been guilty of that in some ways of justifying things and providing for my family but in the end it was about my own identity it's reciprocally true sometimes and again I'm not trying to be stereotypical here but sometimes uh, mothers or wives choose not to go the career path and they take that same identity and I'm going to have the perfect family and all my kids are going to be perfect and they're going to grow up perfect and they're going to do amazing things and all that kind of thing and and all of a sudden you avoid the kind of affection you need to, needed to have shown your husband. Your husband shouldn't have been a high priority so your kids could see a, a relationship between a man, a man and a woman that was loving and compassionate and kind, but in your effort to climb the ladder of being the perfect mother, you maybe went through a divorce or lost a marriage or whatever. Happens quickly. Parents and child, parent children relationships, parents trying to be the disciplinarian can go too far, and children trying to impress their parents or show their parents up. We climb all kinds of ladders. There are all kinds of warnings in Scripture about success and money and all that. Paul told the Apostle, Paul the Apostle told Timothy, a young man, 1 Timothy 1 6, look, we bring nothing into the world, he says, and we can't really take anything out of it either, by the way, which you know intuitively, but we don't live like that sometimes. If we had food and Enough coverings, meaning five, six houses. No, that's what he says. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Who doesn't want to get rich? Who, would, who doesn't want to get rich? I mean, rich is, I guess, relative. I'm rich relative to most of the world, but because I live where I live, I always feel like a pauper because of where I live. Everybody seems to have more money than me. And that's why I like to hang around ministry people. That don't have sometimes less than me, so I can feel like I, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> are, are you following me? I mean, we just, who doesn't want to get rich? But you fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. This is a ladder. This is climbing the ladder. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with all kinds of grief and "'Flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness.'" Now think about it, pursue righteousness. So he's given us a feet. Go to the feet of Jesus. What does the Bible say about Jesus? He is our righteousness, and he's saying pursue righteousness. In other words, pursue being at the feet of Jesus. Matthew seven twenty two foundations, we know the story. "'Therefore, everyone who hears these words and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock.'" What do we learn about Jesus? And Paul tells it, Jesus was the rock. He was the, I've done a sermon on this, if you'll remember, he was the cornerstone that they're going to stumble over. He's the foundation stone. He was the rock in the wilderness. He's the rock. He is our rock. That's how you sit at the feet of Jesus. You build your life on what? On Jesus. Why? Because he wants to give you these other things. Do you realize that he's trying to grab our attention so that? we might have fulfilling, intimate relationships. You want an intimate relationship with your kids, long-term, with your spouse, with your... Jesus wants you to have that. He, he wants us to have a solid career, to have a life-giving family, to have adequate financial life so that we can be generous and ready to share uh, so that we can have a life that withstands the storms. Of course he does. He wants us to have that. How do we get it sitting at the feet of Jesus? How do you sit at the feet of Jesus? That's the question. Matthew 6 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these other things, they'll be added to you. Somehow, way, God will add the things that you need for your contentment and life and your ability to, 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 to be a picture of the gospel. He'll give you what you need, but you must seek first his kingdom. In other words, you must seek the good part. You have to. Make that your ladder how will I provide? How will I do that? Don't worry. You, God will provide. Climb the ladder that God has, and it's his kingdom and his righteousness, his plans and purposes for you. He speaks to you. That'll be our closing song. He speaks to you very uniquely and differently, all of us. He doesn't just say, here are the moral guidelines that you need, and go out and do what you can and do your best and be a moral agent in the earth. Yeah, of course. You need, we need to act in that way, but he has very specific plans for you. Young people, I beg you, just live into, ask the Lord, what do you have for me? Who do you want me to marry? Where do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to have a family? Ask him those questions, he will speak. That's what sitting at the feet of Jesus gets you. Then you hear his voice and then you begin to live into, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, I want to explore a little bit more about Mary and Martha. We get another incident that is quite fascinating in John 11 verse 18. Now, Bethany that I alluded to a minute ago was near Jerusalem about two miles off and Mary of the Jews had come, excuse me, Mary, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Mary stayed at the house. Now, I'm reading between the lines here a little bit, but can I just tell you, why did Mary stay at the house? She had this great relationship. She was sitting at his feet, but she stayed at the house. Why do you think she stayed at the house? Where were you when my brother died? She's at his feet, and now Martha runs out to meet Jesus. Mary stays back. What happened? What was in her heart? Here I was at his feet, and then now, she's right in the place of Mary. Uh, excuse me, Mary's now in the place of Martha. Lord, don't you even care? She's kind of maybe she was giving Jesus, you're going to give the Jesus the silent treatment a little bit. I don't know. And so Martha goes out, and Martha, verse twenty one, said to Jesus, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said, your your brother, he's going to rise again. And Mary says, well, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Martha's not the villain. She believes in the resurrection. She believes. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I'm asking you that question right now, wherever you're watching from. Maybe you're watching on television, you had a horrendous night and you slept with somebody that, that you don't even know their name. And you wake up and somehow you find this on your TV. You're a million miles from the feet of Jesus. Will he welcome you back? That's the question. Well, let's read the rest of the story. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, that's the anointed one, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, this teacher is here, and he's calling for you. Does that grab you? Maybe Jesus knew Mary was giving him the silent treatment, and yet he calls for her. Mary's not even gone out. Now, you've got to realize in the Middle East, hospitality is huge. So to run out and meet somebody would have been normative. Now, we think, well, I'm going to wait till they ring the bell, and then they'll get up to the door and go through the front gate. And Back then, man, you, you, you ran. I mean, this was that kind of hospitality, especially when somebody had been traveling and, and walking through these dusty paths. Why was Mary hanging back? But then she heard that Jesus had called for her. There was a book not long ago called Jesus Calling, regardless of what you think about it or theologically, I haven't read the whole thing, but people were impacted by it. And people I know came to know Jesus because they felt like Jesus was personally calling them. It was like a devotional that invited you into a relationship with Jesus day after day. Uh, I guess it had a profound effect on a lot of people. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and then she went to him. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. He raised Lazarus and everything was good in Beantown. Laura, you know, Lord, why, why, where have you been? Why? Don't you even care? Don't you even care? Does a crisis tend to make you angry with God? Not trust God? give Him the silent treatment or even keep you from worshiping Him? Do you struggle when we come in and we have worship songs, maybe even come late so you don't have to be at the worship part of it? You don't mind hearing a, you know hearing the Word of God. But to worship, yeah, I don't really want to worship. I don't even trust Him really right now. Where, where have you been in my life? Where were you when I was abused as a child or when you know, when I went through what I just went through or when I was diagnosed with cancer or, 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 or. But you know what? Mary recovered incredibly quickly. And one of the reasons that we know it is we see one last case in John chapter 12, and it's powerful. This was right before the Passover, chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Can you imagine that meal? What would that dinner conversation have sounded like? I mean, sometimes I it was some stupid sitcom or something. They were talking about the need to have a middler in any conversation. You have a dinner party, and say you have, you know, three people on each side and then two people and then you have eight people at the top. You need to make sure that somebody in the middle of that is, an, is a mid, You need a middler. And a middler, what a middler can do is two things. One of two things. They either need to be interestingly enough to carry a conversation that people are interested in listening to or they have to be an excellent guide into question asking and what's going on and talk to us. If you put the wrong people in the middle, because the middle person guides it because the people on the both end, if you put them on the end, you're going to have a horrible dinner conversation, right? So, And it's really true if you think about it. We had a dinner the other night, and that was the case. We had a middler, and she just was a very fun to listen to, and she could ask questions and everything. And we got back in the car, and Laura looked at me. She goes, she was a perfect middler. And I said, she really was. And the, and the evening was great. Had you put somebody else in there, well, you know, I'm, I got to meet with IRS next week. And back in 1989, I had an audit. And let me tell you how my audit went. And they, got, they grabbed the conversation because they're in the middle. And you're like, oh, God, when does, this, when does this end? I've got to get out of here. But what would this conversation have been like? I hope Lazarus was the middler and Jesus was the other mother middler on the other side. Hey, Lazarus, what was it like to be dead? And what did that feel like when your, when your spirit or your whatever came back in and you got up in your grave clothes and you walked out of the grave and they're like, and Jesus is like stripped him of his grave clothes and people are freaking out and passing out. What did that feel like? And somebody else goes, well, let me tell you about my audit. No, nobody would say that. They would be like, tell us what. What a great... I just can't even... I would have loved to have been at this dinner conversation. I have to be honest with you. When they made him supper and there Mary... uh, Martha was serving again, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. I think she had recovered and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. She started at his feet... She had, I think, and I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but why did she not run out? Maybe she had a, a, a moment in which she was like Mar- Martha. Don't you even care that my brother died? We sent word to you, Jesus, and you stayed back for three days. We knew you got the information. Were you too, were you too busy? Don't you even care? Jesus then responds after all I've done for you I can't believe you would go as far as to complain and I'm gonna I'm gonna well I'm gonna send you straight to hell Mary no he he calls for her and she responds right back as his feet from the feet to the silent treatment and back to the feet where are you today have you been given God the silent treatment in some way? Is there something going on in your life that you just can't comprehend and you're just cr- There's nothing wrong with crying out to God in prayer. It's a beautiful way to pray, but at the end of the day you have to stand back up and say, "Yet will I worship you. I will fall. I don't understand what's going on, but I will follow you." That's where my week ended. And if it hadn't, I probably wouldn't even have been able to preach this sermon to you this morning. Lord, I know there's a lot of things going on in my life, on in every area, and and I have to be the one that's up and loving and kind and compassionate, and, and, I, and I don't even have the strength to do that because my emotions are a million miles going that way, and I just want to... Uh... So how do you fit, sit at the feet of Jesus in closing? Well, prayer, and I'm going to talk about that more next week, but also just meditating on His Word. I, I, there's nothing like, Lord, I... Wh- why? Why don't you care? Where are you? And then opening his word and then just reading it and realizing that the whole story of the Bible is his response. I cared so much that I laid down my life for you. Wow. Joshua 1 says, This book of the law will not, should not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Day and night. I cannot tell you how powerful it is just to read the word and meditate on it day and night. James 1, putting aside all filthiness and that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word, the implanted, which is able to save your souls. Please do this. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word. And then lastly, in closing, how do you sit at Jesus' feet? You, Well... Ephesians says, Ephesians one twenty two says, he puts all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. Do you realize metaphorically and symbolically, but really in truth that this is his body right here? It may have been hard for you to get up and come and be part of this, but do you realize that you're you're at his feet in a sense? This is his body right here. He's the head, but this is his body. And when you come and we we get to come together as a community, having common unity—that's where the, again that word etymologically—and we sit at his feet. He is here. And in the first service, it was it was wild, and some people kind of freaked out, thought I had it planned. And uh, I had a had a precious German man, and right as I said that that this is his body, and you can sit at his feet, his Siri and. Paul is here. Paul and Mary can, well, he's another pastor. Maybe that's a conspiracy. But somebody can tell us what happened. Right as I said that, his phone very, very light. Siri came on and said, I am here. (laughs) And everybody went, oh, how did he do that? How did he do that? And the guy was so, he was so ashamed and he went out and he said he didn't find any humor in it because it was his phone. And I said, it was perfect. I mean, the second I said it. And I'm going to tell you one last story that has nothing to do with anything other than that God, when you sit at his feet, he can show you miraculous things. I, I was doing this uh, service, uh, sunrise services, I don't know, eight or nine years ago at the Vintage Club. and we'd have between 500 and 1,000 people. I was out on the golf course and all this, and I was doing a, doing a service, and I was talking about the Levitical law and how to cleanse the house of a leper. This is all symbolic, by the way, of Jesus and his vicarious death for us. You take two of these birds, and, and you put a bowl there, and, and, you, and you, you kill one, and the blood then runs down out of the one bird, and it flows over the next bird into the bowl and the water, and then you take the other bird that has covered in blood, and you let it go. Now, what happened? Jesus was the bird that was killed, and his blood then covers the other bird, which is us, and then we get set free. And I'm thinking, all right, because they spent a lot of money at the Vintage Club. I mean, in excess of $50,000 to put this sunrise service on, and the music, and the morning, and some of you have maybe been there, and it's pretty extraordinary. And I got maybe 15, 20 minutes to do a quick message. And I'm just like, I want this people to remember it. And so I, I looked into maybe getting some doves behind the stage out on the golf course up against the mountains. And right when I said, and then the Lord let the birds go free, I wanted some doves like, all right, Bob, 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 wake up and have the little thing. And then doves fly out and everybody go, oh, wow. And I looked into it, and let me tell you something. It's hard to get doves and get them back and all that. It's going to be very complicated, and who's going to take care of the doves and get them there so nobody can see them and all this? So I just prayed. I said, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you when I say that, I'm praying that just one big white bird would somehow fly right over the heads of the people because I can't come up with my own little theatrics. So I prayed, and I prayed again. And this has happened a few times. I don't suggest you try this at home because... But so I got to that part and and then I said, and this is the cross. This is, we're celebrating the resurrection. Jesus died. His blood came on the bird. And now we are the bird that's, and we're the bird that they're free. And I was kind of looking down and I kind of looked up and I said, I'm free. And I looked up and I was looking for this, you know, white bird. And as the Lord is my witness, I don't know if anybody was there that's here today. Thousand birds, white came down and flew and started to just, and and they were going in those patterns all over the top of the people. And I'm telling you, the people freaked out, but not as much as I did. And I was like, Lord, thank you for that. And people will remember that forever. So that Siri moment was a little bit like God was saying, you know, this is my body. I am here. You're gathered in my name. You want to mingle? You want to mingle with the the body of Christ? You want to sit at His feet? Be with His community. Be in the Word. And as we'll talk about next week, we want to be in prayer. So... I don't know where you are, if you're feeling discouraged. And can I just tell you, Jesus is here to speak to you today. But he wants to speak to you. And in our closing song, this is, uh, I've played it before. It's so powerful. I love this song. It's one of my favorites of all time. I, I love it. It's precious African-American sister uh, that does this song. It's called Speak. And I want you to really intently listen to the words and then ask the Lord, And this is my prayer, and I'm going to pray it before we listen to the song. I'm going to pray. If you want to pray this, you just pray after me because this is for me. I'm praying. I had a bad week. I had an abandoned week. I had a week where I was Martha and Mary and silent treatment and everything else, and I just was ready to let my emotions go Flying off, and I and I, but I want to hear him speak. I want to be back at his feet. So, yeah, pray with me. Just pray, Lord Jesus. I feel like I maybe I've been giving you the silent treatment a little bit or complaining, Lord. How, why me? How can you allow this thing to happen? Don't you even care? And Lord, I am choosing now to be back at your feet to hear you speak to give me my next command that will lead me into life. Lord, I know you care about my relationships. I know you care about my family. I know you care about all these things, but I must choose the good part. Lord, forgive me for not choosing the good part, the perfect part, the best part. This week, I choose this next week to listen at your feet, listen to you speak, because that clearly, that clearly is the best part.